The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. I'm Jan Barris, Vice President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I want to welcome listeners to the National Committee's podcast with Michelle Vosper the editor of a wonderful new book entitled Creating Across Cultures, Women in the Arts from China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. First of all, I should say that Shelley is an old friend. Um, and I guess the fact that I call her Shelley indicates that because she now goes by Michelle. So we're very, very pleased to welcome Michelle to this podcast. And I haven't read the whole book yet, but I've gotten through quite a bit of it, and I just want to say it's really a wonderful book, not only because of its very interesting content and the fact that the subject matter is one that up till now hasn't really had the attention that I think and clearly you think it deserves, but also because it's a beautiful book, uh, as behooves something that's published on the arts. Uh, it's not only beautiful when you look at it, but just feels good to turn the pages and the quality and the texture of the paper that you or your publisher chose is just terrific. And if we have time, I'd really like to get into some of the um, reasons for that and some of the background to just publishing the, the book itself, because it, it, as I say, it's really beautiful. Well, thank you, Jen. and tactically. I think you have an artist's aesthetic appreciation of the texture and the feel of the book. Well, it really is terrific, and I, as I say, I thought it was very appropriate um, in terms of the fact that it is a book about the arts. So let's get in just a, a little bit, not so much the content of the, the women that you're discussing, but just how you came to write this and how you made some of the decisions that you made. So you talk in the opening paragraph about how important it is to distill from amongst lots and lots and lots of facts about these women, uh, to distill that down into something that's a balanced and a fair portrait of a person. But even before that, you have to decide who you're going to write about. So how did you make that decision? Well, if you don't mind, Jan, I'd like to jump back a little bit. And I hope you're not disappointed to hear that originally my project was not about women. It was about men and women. And this was a uh, change of direction that was part of the, the journey and the experience and process of the whole book. But what I started out doing was actually wanting to write about artists, uh, many of whom I had met in my career uh, of 25 years with the Asian Cultural Council. And uh, because the ACC gives grants to individual artists from Asia, while working in Hong Kong, I had a chance to meet hundreds of outstanding artists from the region of China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Macau. So my preference was really not to start with women, but men and women. And my focus was, was really on the area, which we call Greater China. Mm -hmm. in, in China, it's actually called Two Coasts, Four Places. Yeah, I saw that in your preface. <laughs> I, I hadn't heard that phrase before. And well, <laughs> I guess this is the politically correct phrase that is safe to use uh, these days. But these are four places that I was very familiar with because of my career. I'd lived in Hong Kong for 30 years, which means you go to Macau all the time. Uh, I'd lived in, in Taiwan in the 1970s, and um, 
I started going to China in uh, 1978 as a tour guide, which, if I remember correctly, was a job you got for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. First of all, I wanted to cover these four areas because... The four areas, you mean the four geographic areas? The four geographical right. areas. And um, I thought it would be interesting to compare these different cultures, really, who have very different um, languages and history. And um, so I started with women from those four geographical areas. I also wanted to cover as many art forms as possible, so we would have that broad range, and a uh, historical line that would begin as early as possible uh, to as recently as possible. So now we have uh, the eldest in the book is Nian Hua Ling, who is 92, mm -hmm. and the youngest is 40. So I was trying to cover as wide an area in that way. So what I, w what I did was um, I started to work with uh, actually, the, the database of the Asian Cultural Council. The Asian Cultural Council has supported 5,000 individuals wow, in, in the wow. past 50 years. And I would say their database is the most comprehensive in the world of the leading artists in Asia in the visual and performing arts. And so it's not all of the artists, but it's still the best and the most influential. So I thought it would be, uh, this was good enough. And I would, it would also make it easier to work with them because, of course, um, Having someone write your biography is quite a risky, uh, a, a risky situation. You don't know how you're going to be presented. And I knew that um, the Asian Cultural Council grantees would have the trust that it would be done in a way that was, uh, would in no way compromise their integrity. So that's how I began. And then I chose and I, and I consulted people in the field in Asian Cultural Council. And um, so I came up with a list and it, I knew them all. And this was actually very important because I knew who had stories that would be of interest in the United States and um, because I knew them. And so in, in some cases, it was uh, a story which had a connection with the United States. And I thought that for an American audience, it would be easier for them to, to relate to that. Um, I, I chose also from Taiwan a, um, an indigenous contemporary artist because I also thought that this is something that would be an eye-opener for Americans. So I came up with a list and tried to balance it and, um, in, in the different art forms and consulted different people and uh, from there I went ahead. So you mentioned the four geographic areas. But also your book is divided into four sort of genre areas. And that too must have presented some difficulty because the arts is a huge field. So how did you decide how, which genres you would choose, how to put people in what? And then because this is an edited volume and you asked, you, you write many of these stories yourselves, but you've asked others, how did you decide who you would match with whom in terms of the writer and the person being written about? Well, first of all, I think um, in terms of the structure of the book, which as you say, is in, it's uh, separated into areas of the arts, uh, I thought it would be a mistake to lump people geographically because artists are really mavericks who in some way, they do not represent the place they come from. They're the people who are different, and so I thought <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I thought that it would be kind, it would be misleading and and kind of reductive to do it that way. And especially in today's world, where people move all around with immigration, globalization, it's just inaccurate to to kind of pigeonhole someone. And I certainly didn't want to be the one to decide their cultural identity. I think mm -hmm. everyone decides that for themselves. Yeah. So. I decided it would make much more sense to do it according to art forms. And so um, 
I, I just saw who I wanted to work with, actually, and found a way to put them together. So the first section, which is about writing, is called Women of Words. Um, we have a, a fiction writer, Nia Hua Ling, and a um, playwright from Hong Kong, and then an art critic who writes about the arts. Mm -hmm. So these are people who really are writers. Uh, then the next section was about visual arts, and um, that was easy to put people into that category. I also added there one filmmaker, who in some university curriculums, that's considered a visual art form. It's put into that category. Sound and stage is, um, uh, is a category that includes a composer, uh, two instrumentalists, one is Kuchin player from Beijing, uh, a Sichuan opera performer, and um, then a performer of uh, Nanguan, which is the uh, Fujian uh, music form that dates back to the Tang Dynasty. So um, from there, I have the ending section is dance, but it's actually modern dance. And the reason I did this was because the Asian Cultural Council's focus has always been in modern dance in that area, because this is what um, people can study in the United States. This is what's one of the things the United States has to offer. And um, so we have supported many people in modern dance and have, been, have played a role in um, establishing China's first modern dance company. And so there were many people from whom to choose, and I thought it was a good way to compare um, uh, dance professionals from, from the region and um, who were doing the same kind of dance form. Okay. So that's a little bit about overview of the book. I just Something you said, though, in your answer made me wonder. You, you talked about for an American audience. So who is the book intended for? And, and I mean that in two ways. The way it's laid out and some of the wonderful addenda that you have to it of each page, each artist has, and I use that artist generally, <laughs> dancer, filmmaker, etc. Each artist has a page which gives some very interesting factual information about her. Um, and so in some sense, it's like a textbook, but it's... Mm -hmm. And it's, it's got the weight, the heaviness of a textbook, but it doesn't look or feel like a textbook. So that's the first question, that part of what audience, but also is it just the United States you're looking at? Because it seems to me you're telling stories that people in Macau and Hong Kong and the PRC and Taiwan would like to know as well. Now, granted, it would have to be English readers unless you have this translated into Chinese and so that's the last part of that question. Are you contemplating having it translated? Well, first of all, Jan, my purpose really was to write uh, for a general audience of English language readers and uh, not for people in uh, Asia, which is not that I wanted to exclude them, but I feel it's a very different kind of writing. And I wanted to have this context, which might have uh, not been appropriate for some Chinese people who had the historical context. So I was trying, one of the hardest things was to keep my mind on who I was writing for, because different things would come up that I knew would be really interesting to Chinese people. And so I had to make choices all along, but I really tried to keep uh, in mind that I was writing for a general audience, something that was very accessible, with this context that would context that would help them to understand the, where the person was coming from, uh, culturally, and um, so that really is the plan. Not only Americans, but also for English speakers all over the world. So that I was very clear about. Um, 
So then the question of translation, this is something that has come up. There's actually a publisher in Taiwan who's interested in translating. And this is something that we can consider. I'm kind of waiting to hear the response from um, different people who are Chinese people reading it, uh, who find that they still have something to learn from this. But I, I think it's important to say too that it's not at all academic. And this is by choice. And this was actually one of the harder things for some of the writers who are so used to writing academic language that um, we tried to help them to, <laughs> to make it it's just easier reading. And I think maybe they have a higher standard. But this is journalistic, and that was what we were trying to do. So the, the, the translation, we'll see for the future if, if there really is uh, interest in that, and if it should be in the same form. Uh, as you said, it's kind of an unusual uh, book without any, any particular category um, because the, the, the look and feel of it is somehow doesn't uh, match what it is. Many, it's about stories. It's a collection of stories. And so I can see where it could be used as a textbook, actually, in women's studies or in Asian studies. But that wasn't so much the intention. It was just really for someone to sit down and have a good read and um, read stories about people who are present artists who are presented as human beings, just people with um, whom I think anyone could relate to them because they're very personal stories about their lives. And um, so that's what I was thinking of originally. Okay, and then one final question because we're coming to the end of our time. All of the women in this book have had an experience abroad in the United States and some of them elsewhere. How do you think the book would have differed or the stories would have differed and I know, obviously, each one has its own path, but how might it have differed if you had focused on women from these four areas who had never been abroad? Well, I think it would have been very different. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to include the element of uh, cultural exchange uh, was that this is something, this would be another commonality among the women who had an international perspective. Uh, and I think this is so important for artists to um, not only to see uh, standards in the arts in other places, but also it's very important for the consolidation of their own identity. And identity is a very important issue to artists in, in how they present themselves. And, th and there's a lot of discussion about that. And uh, going abroad, I think, is such an important experience. I, I think identity starts with deciding what we are not. And from there, we start to decide who we are. And uh, this is a very important uh, reflection for artists. And it has a great effect on their work and on what they decide, what areas they decide to, to uh, work in and what they want to express. And so, I mean, I cannot say that if someone had never been abroad that uh, I think they would have a very different perspective and idea perhaps about their responsibility. Because another thing that an artist learns when they're abroad or, or a sensibility that they, that they um, take on is a sense of responsibility to their home. And they, they, when they come to the States, suddenly they become very Chinese or very Hong Kong. And they feel they really want to do something for their, for their home and the people um, in, their, in their own society. Well, that's a lovely ending. And, and I hope for those of you whose appetite has been whetted by just this very short introduction to this book, Creating Across Cultures, Women in the Arts from Hong Kong, from China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. I hope you will want to learn more. And if so, Michelle is about to speak to 
an audience here in our office, and the longer podcast of the, her entire talk, which is different, there will be different questions from what I just asked, uh, that will be up on our website along with the video of her talk. So we encourage all of you to not only listen to this, but to go on and to watch Michelle's longer version uh, and any other of our podcasts or videos that catch your attention. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Michelle. And thank for you, Jan. Being I enjoyed on it. the program. Good. Thank you so much.